Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Please go ahead and take out your copy of God's Word. Turn to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. The call of Matthew is, is a pretty straightforward image when you read it. I'm going to give you a little bit more to chew on as we delve into it. And I'd like for you to try to see yourself in his place as we're going through this message. Because this was not an easy decision from a worldly point of view. From a spiritual point of view, it's a very easy decision. But I want you to see what the world would struggle with here. Incidentally, remember also, this is a communion service today, and we want to make sure that um, you all have your, your communion kits available to you. Because again, here, this is not the table of Highland Baptist Church. This is not the table of Jason Robbins. This is Christ's table. And he calls to it all who are trusting in him and all who are repentant of their sins. So if you're here with us, please go ahead and have that at the ready. But as we delve into God's word today, Communion is about re-examination. Communion is about reaching out and connecting with God. That's where the name comes from. It's about enjoying the relationship that we have through Him and remembering what it took to make that relationship possible. Again, as we venture into Holy Week together, we remember that the body and the blood of Christ were something that He was selfish, selflessly willing to give up in order to make a relationship, a personal, intimate, close, and emotionally driven relationship, as well as a spiritually driven relationship possible. Now, what do I mean by all that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Old Testament says that our God is a a jealous God. God has a heart. God is not all factual knowledge, even though that's important. The truth of God surpasses intellect. It surpasses emotionalism. It is a fusion of everything that we are. God's outreach to each and every one of us um, involves the entire person. and, And we want to keep that in mind because this is a story that we're about to delve into right now of someone who was so touched by the master's hand that they gave up everything that they had, everything that they were, and everything that they were going, that they were expecting to have as their future, to respond to the call of Christ. Now, just to give you a little bit of background here. What is a tax collector? We think of an IRS agent. We think of someone in in the stereotypical uh, dark suit with tie, the person that you don't want to be called in front of, who will expect to have a bunch of ledgers at the ready to condemn you for not having paid enough. 
But in the Roman era of Israel's history, it's far beyond that. Rome was engaged in a practice called tax farming, which meant that instead of putting your own people's name and neck on the line, you went to the citizens of the community that you had conquered, and you tried to develop relationships within those to foster a sense of loyalty towards the occupier away from the occupied. They were considered to be blood traders. What happened was that the, uh, the position was opened and announced. Certain families would approach whoever the Roman uh, authority was at the time, and they would place a monetary bid to have this possession. In other words, a legal bribe so that they would be declared, a, in some of your translations, publican, in some of your translations, a tax collector. And they would not only be responsible for the collection of the taxes, but they were given the opportunity to add a certain percent on top of that to take for themselves. They were offered the ability to extort their neighbors. So they were considered collaborators to the occupation, traitors of not only the people, but the land. They were excommunicated as such from their synagogues and from their communities. They were considered outcasts. Even though they were wealthy, even though they were what we would consider in some cases from a worldly point of view, wildly successful, they were shunned by the very people that they should call family. The responsibilities included collecting money uh, for use on Roman-built roads, the way that we would collect a, a toll. They would tax a land tax on produce, on salt, both growing it and consuming it to the tune of 10%. They had uh, what was called a head tax, meaning that depending upon the number of people that you had in your family, you owed Rome a certain amount of money every single year. When we saw a census conducting in the, in the Gospel of Luke, that is particularly important because God actually redeemed this practice so that what could happen? And there, and there came a decree from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. That's what it was a part of. That's where it comes into the story. And also customs duties. Anything that was brought in from outside of the empire was taxed. Jerusalem sat on the Silk Road. Jerusalem was a rich trade city before the Roman occupation. Where things came in from India, from all the way from the, to the Yellow River Valley in China. This was Rome's opportunity to drain the wealth from Jerusalem and from Israel. And to line their own pockets. And this is the way that they used it. So Matthew called right now Levi, was a part of this chain of persecution. But here's what he brought to the table later on. As a disciple, he would take these gifts, these qualifications that made him particularly important to Rome, and they would be redeemed. He spoke no fewer than three languages fluently because he would have to. Aramaic was the local language at the time. Greek was the, the language of trade. So if you did any kind of back and forth, any kind of economic activity in the city of Jerusalem, you had to at least speak these two languages. But because he was in league with Rome, it, mean, it meant he also had to speak Latin too. So this was a multilingual person who also knew how to take shorthand. In fact, if you ever read the Gospel according to Matthew, 
You'll notice that it's the largest one. Why? Because of all the disciples, he could take things down verbatim. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, we see that it's longer than any of the other passages in the New Testament because he was able to take down word for word what Jesus himself was preaching under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit of God. But for now, he kept records for another reason. He was skilled in mathematics and accounting. This was a highly intelligent individual. Nevertheless, he was someone that was condemned in the sight of his own people. So there are two lessons that we need to pay attention to when we take a look at this passage of Scripture. The first is, how do we see others? We are the people of God now. At this point in time, Levi, as we will call him right now, was shunned. He was the outcast. He was hated. He was the enemy. He may have been Jewish, but he was treated like a Gentile. In fact, Jesus actually said, if you have to excommunicate someone, if you have to cast somebody out of the assembly because they remain unrepentant, you are to treat them as what? As tax collectors. So he sat in his booth, counting the money, living a life of outward, of outward comfort, but more than likely inward pain. So the question, the lesson that I want to ask us as we're delving into to, to the scripture, number one, is how do we look at others? How do we treat other people? Do we treat them in that same way? Or do we treat them as Jesus treated them? Potential brothers and sisters in Christ. And secondly, secondly, what was it like for us when Jesus called us? What was it like for us when Jesus called us? Getting into the reading of God's word together. After his miracles, after calling Peter, after his ministry on the shores of the Galilee, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Two words. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. It's a short package, uh, short passage, but it's filled with an awful lot. Follow me. Matthew, who had to come, Levi, excuse me, who had to come in contact with everybody in this area, who was their tax collector, who was the person that if you traded with anybody, if you grew anything, if you imported something, if you used the roads, you would know Matthew and you would owe him money. So when Jesus walked those very same roads where he was on the fishing boats in those same waters, when he was changing water into wine, when he was doing his signs and wonders, when he was healing people, when he was showing them this outside stretch of compassion 
from what the Pharisees would call the people of the soil or the dirty ones, when he was being accepting and kind and loving to the people that everyone else had forgotten about, Matthew, uh, Levi heard about it. Levi knew the condition of the people that he was collecting money from because he would hear everything. And he heard the stories of the healing. He heard the stories of the love. He heard the stories of the teaching. Chances are good that he, were also, he was also in the crowds around the house when Jesus healed the paralytic man. And when the time came and the master sought out this person who was rejected by everybody in Israel, including potentially his own family, and he gave him the shortest invitation on record, follow me. The Bible tells us that in no, with no question, with no thought, with no hesitation, he left everything that he knew and he turned to follow Jesus. The word that is used in the Greek to say he left literally means he abandoned. So his money, his family obligations, his tax tables, his home, his future, everything that he knew that was a source of safety and security to him, he left absolutely everything behind to follow the master. The Bible tells us to not be conformed to the ways of this world, but to be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning the old person that we were, the old clothes that we used to wear, the old habits that we would engorge ourselves with, the old sinful ways that we had partaken of in the past, we are to dismiss utterly. And that's precisely what we see this tax collector do. Only he was in the immediate presence of everything that could have chained him back. He was in the presence of his table, his books, his money. He had gold sitting right in front of him. He had the people that were his fellow tax collectors and probably a couple of Roman centurions providing safety and security for him. The finery of his clothes, the size of his house, everything that he knew that was supposed to be set aside for the security of his future when Jesus says those two words, follow me, he dismisses them all. And he turns from that which he was. Repentance. And he turns to what Christ has to offer. As we're about to read, he does so rejoicing in the opportunity. Moving on in verse 29. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When we read the Bible, and we're likely to read over something that we think might not have any merit to it, the Pharisees run to our rescue. Because when the Pharisees get aggravated and agitated about something, you know there's something more going on beneath the surface. The people who were the tax collectors were dirty in the eyes of the Pharisees. There was actually an Aramaic word that I can't pronounce, which means the people of the dirt, that they referred to as those who were the publicans, those who were the tax collectors, those who were the enemy, 
the collaborators of this occupying, this occupying force. How dare you eat and drink and celebrate with publicans, tax collectors, and sinners because the same dirt on them will get on you. That's what they were saying. So there was an entire segment of the population that they had been called to minister to, that they had been called to love, that they had been called to, to raise up and give hope, and they were dismissing them utterly because they were afraid of guilt by association. But Jesus goes to them after they ask him, why are you doing this? And he says that I have come to offer them a spiritual healing. The doctor does not go to the well. He goes to what? The sick. Our ministry to this day is not to those who claim to be righteous, but to those who are without hope, those who are steeped in their sins, those who do not know another way of life, while we do continue to disciple and to comfort and to call each other brother and sister as we are supposed to do as members of the body of Christ, nevertheless, there are peoples in the very shadow of this sanctuary who are up to their eyeballs in drugs, in drinking, in the horrors of living a life without hope, without love, without a genuine sense that there is a God out there that they are ultimately accountable to, and He loves them, and He has paved a way for them to come to repentance, to come to a life of hope, to come to a life filled with joy, peace, faithfulness, goodness. All they need, just as Matthew needed, is someone willing to deliver the message. All they need is someone willing to deliver the message. The unfortunate thing is that we live in a time when the evangelical church does not spread that message nearly often enough. Unlike what the name would suggest, we have a message that we are called to deliver Are we delivering it? Or are we too afraid to meet with the people who we think of as dirty? Too afraid to soil ourselves? The brother of Christ wrote, he who knows what to do, the right to do, the right thing to do, and does it not, to that person it is reckoned as what? As sin. We have a story to take to the people outside of our walls. We have a story to take to the people in the very shadow of our walls. We have a message of hope, of comfort to a community that we know is broken apart to the point where grandparents are having to raise their grandchildren. Aunts and uncles that haven't had children yet are now taking care of their nieces and nephews because the parents are not in the picture. There are some that wag their heads and say, what a shame, when the truth is they should be shaking their heads, raising their hands and saying, what a fantastic opportunity to minister. What a fantastic way to spread the gospel of Christ. Then to go forth with the love and the hope that it represents and help those in need with their physical needs, yes, but also not being afraid to give an account of the joy that we have received. We are no different. If you're a sinner saved by grace, say amen. 
The first part of that statement is that we have to admit that we are what? That we are a sinner. That puts us all, each and every one of us, on the same playing field without exception. There but the grace of God go, I. There is no one out there that we have not been called to take the gospel to. Everyone that we see in our path, no matter what their former lives, everybody that we see in our path is a potential brother or sister in Christ. And we need to take that charge very seriously. Levi here was rechristened by our Savior Matthew, which literally translates to gift of God. And the languages that he spoke, the record-keeping intellect that he had, the ability to take shorthand, as we see here, his financial resources, by one, two word phrase from our Savior were turned around and were put to the work of the ministry. We have a gospel more complete than any other because Matthew said yes. Chances are good that the first funding of Jesus in moving from his Galilean ministry to his ministry all the way into Jerusalem came from Matthew. And right now, the first thing that this new convert does is he throws a party. And he invites everybody that was in the same sinful condition as he was. He is spreading the news of the gospel to those who need it most. He is drawing them in under his own roof to introduce them to the person who can save their souls. This wasn't just a celebration to say, I've got a new rabbi. This is him going to the people that were in the same soulless condition that he was in and saying, you've got to hear this guy. You've got to hear the word of God. You've got to meet Jesus. The same people that the Pharisees, the leaders and the shepherds of Israel wouldn't touch. It was the same person this new believer went straight out to. But like all things, as we've been talking about in this series of gospel messages... When something good happens for the kingdom of God, the enemy reacts. Verse 27, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. The legalists. Jesus answered, and I want you to know how he he handles the situation. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. But he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch to an old one. Otherwise, when they've torn the new garment and patched from the old one, the new one will not match the old. 
And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskin will be ruined. The, no, the new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old one is better. Now, what does all that mean? The Pharisees were struck by conviction, just as Matthew was. You could do two things with conviction. You can either marinate in it and let it turn into shame and lash out against it. Or you can heed it for what it is, the voice of God calling you to repentance. And you can use it to fuel you, to give you energy, and to bounce into that which you have been called to. And right here, what we see, the Pharisees, who were the priests over Israel, who were their teachers, the people whose job it was to memorize the word of God, to proclaim it boldly, were being convicted by the fact that they were not doing their jobs. These are the sick people. Jesus has come to minister to those that need that hope, that need his love, the love of God, and that need to be in community together to start building this family of God called the church. We need each other. We need the love that that incorporates. We're not in an organization together. We're in a family together. And this is what Jesus is trying to instill in them. You're calling people dirty who are in the same condition that you are. And that takes repentance. That takes a complete turnaround. You don't ruin one garment in order to fix another one. You don't take that which is new and destroy it to fix the old. And likewise, you don't pour new wine into an old wineskin. Because as it ferments, the gases build up and it starts to stretch. And if it's old, it's already been stretched. So if it keeps on stretching, what eventually happens? It explodes. It pops like a balloon. Put off the old. For the people of God who are in ministry, our challenge is to examine our preconceptions, the way that we've been doing things. And if it doesn't fit anymore, put it away. Churches can no longer expect growth just because people come in the door. Just like Christ did with Matthew, it requires developing relationships. It requires showing other people love, talking to them, opening your heart to them. That doesn't come naturally for a lot of people, at least not in open conversation, but it may come naturally in other ways by being generous, by doing work, by helping out, by reaching out. But there is something that all of us have been gifted to do to make a difference in the lives of others. And it's in developing that kind of relationship and showing them 
the same love that God has shown to each and every one of us, that the ministry grows by adding to the body of Christ through love. Love is the difference between the church and all other organizations. The love of God, the pure, unadulterated, agape love that he gave to you, you are now charged, we are all now charged with reflecting to others. Both for the sake of bringing God the glory, by better knowing Christ, and in making what? Making Christ known. All God's people said. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.